today and religion and what that has played in our spiritual journey. Uh, and I want to I wanna try to keep it positive, right? We are in an age where, if we look at the past and the history of the church, there are moments where the church has done harm. And sometimes we have more emotions that attach to where we've been hurt or angered. And so sometimes it's easy to go like, oh, I'm so thankful for the family of God. But, and we want to draw attention to maybe a moment where we've been hurt or the church didn't step up. And, um, but I really want to challenge us to stay in a mindset of, of what has church and religion actually contributed to our spiritual journey. Uh, and so, depending on how long-winded I am, too, I want to put this in your minds ahead of time, uh, which I saw all your heads move. Thank you. Uh, depending on uh, how long-winded I am, during our joys and concerns, I want to actually invite you to share a positive piece where the church really stepped into your world, they helped you feel like you belonged, they showed up in a time where you were hurting, but, but when was the church a real and true benefit to you and that you're thankful for? So I want to put that seat because I don't want to put you on the spot, but you can be thinking of that as long as you're also paying attention to the message, and you can do two things at one time. Uh, so these 10 stops where we're at, right, where we started, and this is through Barna's study, um, through 10,000 surveys, right, and talking to people and getting input. And stop one was kind of ignorance. You're just you're not aware of sin. You're not aware of God. You're just kind of not paying attention, or, or it's just you're unaware. Uh, stop two was indifference, right? So you become aware, but you don't really care. It doesn't have much impact on you. You just go about your day. It's something that's you know maybe for other people, and you just kind of continue your life. At some point. You start thinking about it more, something happens, and then, so now you're aware, but you, you begin to become concerned. Oh, I'm aware that God exists. I'm aware that maybe, you know, there's this right and wrong and this greater thing at play in the universe, and, and, and I'm, I'm a little concerned about that, and which hopefully leads to a confession. Like, oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I haven't always been a good person. Help me, like, forgive me for my wrongs, and... And what does it mean to, to kind of confess this need for God and even to confess a belonging to God? And out of that, usually when someone's at that point, like, oh, God, I need you, uh, we show up in church. Because they're like, what do I do with this now? I've confessed that I need God in my life. I confess that I need forgiveness. Where do I go? Now, the challenge is that people take different roads to get here. Some people grow up in the church and they're kind of, oh, I've heard this all the time, it's indifferent. And they have this kind of enlightening moment where they wake up and, and spiritual things become real. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, God actually matters to me. But at that point, if you've grown up in the church, you're also very familiar with church practices. You know the songs, you know when to sit up, you know stand up, sit down, you know the words to recite. Maybe you're familiar with some um, scripture text and overall like culture theology stuff. Um, when I came to faith, um, you know, there's intermittent church activity, but it was never really part of it. I got arrested and part of that program um, in order to stay not going, you know, to juvie was I had to go to church and, and I didn't know anything. And so a lot of it, but with this moment where, where faith kind of became real and I thought, okay, God does exist and it's not irrelevant. Like for me, it was fascinating because everything 
amazing song. Where's that? Like, well, we've been singing this song forever. And, and there's the challenge, and, and this is the challenge in the stop of religion, is um, if we get stuck there, like, you can end up in these cycles of things you do, and when we just always do it, we always say that, that it can lose some meaning. So how do, you, how do you stay fresh in some of that? How do you not become discontent? I'm going to read this. Uh, and so Barna actually did a study, right? 10,000 people he interviewed over the course of six years. And uh, according to their own kind of self-diagnosis, where they would put themselves, 24% of everybody he interviewed felt like there was this, they're at this stop. Church, religious activity, increased religious activity. Um, and ultimately what we're going to talk about is that there's more spiritual transformation that comes out of here. Sometimes, and I mentioned this last week, I, uh, I came to faith through that evangelistic kind of category. And so for a lot of that like subculture of Christianity, that, that moment where of arrival, like, oh, you've made it, is when you confess you need God. And so we get people to this confession part, like, oh, you've made it. And we kind of stop there. What, what do we do? How do we apply God's teaching to our lives? It's not something, you know, because it, it, your, your moment is all about, wow, you believe. Another salvation. Check it off the list. We're just, we're just getting people to believe. Raise hands at camp. Accept Jesus in their life. It's all that matters. Um, and the danger is if you stop there, you don't mature or grow up. And so this stop with the church and really is this opportunity to actually come in and belong to a group of people and to actually grow in your faith, to learn more about God. You have teachings, you have principles, you have songs that you get to draw your heart and connection to God. Uh, so the, the definition of this religious activity, stop five. Simply put, this is the stop of church. However, it is not limited to attending church on a weekly basis. Bible studies, Christian education will most often fall under this stop. Here we see an intentional effort towards spiritual growth, primarily in communities of faith. Uh, and it's important to see this piece too. I'm gonna, I want to read this to you. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. It says, For by grace given to me, I say that everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, right, we're talking about the church, you're one body, we have many members. And not all the members have the same function, so we are many, um, and yet we are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion with faith. Ministry in ministering, teaching the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, and the compassionate with cheerfulness. And the idea, too, is when we come into the church that, that we all have different gifts, right? And it's easy, again, like, so there are some bad, you know, history moments in the church, but if I get sick or, or if I am on one body and, and we're thinking holistically, I hurt my hand. Well, now my body's defective. I have this defective part in the body. And we don't like it. It kind of doesn't give us a good image. So let's cut it off. 
and now we won't have an effective part in the body. And sometimes there's that mindset around the church, right? But if we're one body, like, oh, someone's struggling. Oh, we have a defective part in the body. What are we going to do with it? Why well, now? Let's cut it off. Right? And that's happened. But, but reality is this beautiful thing that even with our bodies, God has designed our bodies to be able to heal. Now, granted, there are things that happen and whatnot, but if, if I cut myself within my own body, within the grand design of my human body, there's an ability for clotting agents. Right? Now, sometimes you need extra help, and, and I'm going to acknowledge that. Sometimes our bodies don't work the way they're supposed to, and all of that. But, but by and large, our body is kind of designed to take care of itself. And so even when one part is struggling, the beautiful thing is that even a new believer coming in like, okay, I need to learn things, is there's these gifts. There's encouragers. There's teachers. There's prophets. There's servers. There's, there's these group of people who can all build into me and I can start to grow and understand. I still thinking back and I've shared bits of my story, but uh, one of the, the people and we have this volunteer team around the youth ministry and uh, like ideally your, your youth leader is going to be cool because you want like kids to think they're cool. We had some of the weirdest people and yet they were so faithful. Uh, and, and Brenda was one of them. She was a, she'd grown up through the youth group and saw what it meant to her. And, and she didn't feel like she connected well. She couldn't speak. She wasn't musically inclined. Um, but she did like to watch movies. And so on a regular basis, she would pick a movie and she would just invite a whole bunch of, like, whoever wants to come over from the youth group. And we would show up and we'd give snacks and whatnot. And we watched movies with Brenda. She never preached some amazing sermon that like, oh, oh, I need God, and you're so wise and enlightened around this subject. But, but she had this gift of hospitality, and she was consistently there. And so me and some of the other people from the youth group would show up at this person's house in this very positive environment, encouraging environment, and we would eat snacks and watch movies together and you know, do some silly game. We really liked sardines. It was a little like you hide in the dark and you've got like, what? But... Right? Everyone had these gifts. And one of the beautiful things growing up for me was the sense of belonging. All of a sudden, most of my life, I moved around a lot, whatnot. Like, there was this community, there was this family of God that, that I belonged. I was talking with some people even this week. Uh, actually, I don't find out I'm sharing this. This happens a lot. But uh, most of you know, I went through a divorce in 2013. And I was part of a more conservative um, faction of the Christian church and as a leader going through something that is considered taboo, I was asked to resign and pretty much told I was no longer welcome in my church. And uh, this was like by far one of the most emotionally harming things like I, that I went through. It was my divorce. I would just rattle my brain, my understanding of of everything rocked me to my core and my identity. And so I left pastoral ministry. I still carried my books around for a while. Uh, working in nonprofits, whatnot, I actually decided, like, all right, I'm never going, you guys know, I'm not going back to pastoral work. I'm going to stay in the nonprofit field. 
I'm not moving my boxes of ministry like resource tools anymore, and I got rid of them. Because I'm not, I'm not going back here. You know, I failed and whatnot, asked to leave. And then I get this call. Hey, uh, I know we talked about you just helping West Portland for a little while, but would you go ahead and like take the church for a year? Like, well, I don't have my books anymore. Uh, right? But, but this is that idea of what role does the church play? And I haven't met Methodists, but now I'm having this, this loyalty and affinity towards and fidelity because this is a group of people and denominationally working with Tim, our superintendent, and other UMC pastors who, as I step in immediately, like, no, you belong. Like, you're part of us. And this restoration, this redemption, this, this belonging and acceptance, which affected my core identity again in terms of value and whatnot, right? The role that church and religion can play in someone's spiritual journey is huge and significant. And everybody has different gifts and different things they can uh, bring. And we don't just cut off the hand if it's sick, right? Even your body, if I sprain my ankle, my other leg is going to hold and support me more. Because it recognizes, like, oh, this one's hurting a little bit. I'm going to step up. I'm going to provide assistance. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can. Um, now, my other leg doesn't try to be an arm, right? Like, own who you are, own your gifts, operating them fully. But, but this is the beauty of the church, as it brings in and can actually help people and encourage people. One of the challenges, though, as we talk about church a little bit, is um, the word church gets ascribed to a lot of different things. And even as we talked about kind of some of my background, evangelical, this conservative group now here, and, and I know I'm this eclectic mess who's now studying Franciscan, you know, spiritual direction. So uh, I actually like where I am. It's, it's fun. I see beauty in all these pieces. Uh, but well, church is used so broadly. What, what is the church? Well, there are roots, and, and I can give you a whole Bible study session on it that would say church is the community. Church is the people. But scripture also has where it talks about the church as an organization. Right? It's the institution of the church. And so some people are like, oh, that's mind framing. And we just had an installation service for our bishop, which was full of a lot of pomp and circumstances. Really fancy outfits, very ceremonial, like gifts, things, whatnot. It was very, it was, it was an institution that was going through its processes and its liturgy. Um, and so something like, oh, the church, and oh, that's the church. Or that's often referred to even as high church. Um, and sometimes, especially when it comes to like hurting people or whatnot, you're talking, oh, I really like that church, the pastor's good, the staff, and, and all of a sudden the church in language becomes the leaders. Oh, I am. I didn't like that church. I had a pastor there one time who told me blah, blah, blah. So now this, this one, one pastor said one thing that was harmful and valid that happens at times. But all of a sudden, we're placing this whole judgment on the church because of it was actually just leadership. And leaders have bad days. I have not always said wise things. Uh, every, you know, I... 
So, so sometimes, I'm, well, the church is the leadership. And I don't agree with the leadership, so I'm going to go find a different church that has leadership that I do like. Sometimes in Scripture, too, when it talks about church, or the temple, or the tabernacle, all of those things, it's very specifically referring to a space or a building. Right? How many would say, like, oh, I'm going to the church, thinking you're on your way to the building? Right? Are you actually on your way to community, or are you you're going to a place? And so it's, and the reality is that there's Scripture, actually, for all of these. So I could, I could blend it all in. There's not necessarily, like, well, this is the right answer. Um, a lot of times we would say, no, the church needs to be the people, but, but the church is kind of all of it. But all of it also brings beauty and meaning. And when we're hurting, we're confused, we have a place that we can come and, and be drawn and maybe hear some teaching, hear some longing, sing some songs that, that might be healing and a balm to our heart. And, and it plays just this beautiful, significant piece. But if we stay at the church spot, one of the arguments in this, actually, the phrase that uses increased religious activity, right? Some of these things which are really meaningful and help. Um, and so the argument, too, is in the church where we're this, this spot where I come to this confession point, but now it's this place for me to become mature. And the argument is that this maturity needs to take place on two levels. It's, it's you individually. You can't put it all on the church. What's the church's job to teach me? You have a responsibility to grow in your faith. You have a responsibility to develop your spiritual journey and your spiritual maturity. But we also do it communally. As a church, there's a lot of stuff we do together. We can do more together than we can individually. Right? And we see that constantly through this church as you guys lean into tangible projects. Even the blood drive, right? 99 units of blood last year. Uh, that's not from one person. Right? So collectively as a church, we can accomplish more than we can accomplish on our own. And even as a group of people, we can grow in maturity. And so just some practices and some, some gifts that the church bring. And I just brainstorming through things around personal spiritual growth uh, involves quiet time. When am I stepping away from all of the noise to just hear God? And sometimes in those quiet times we do devotionals, which is just somebody, a, a Christian author, leader, who maybe has taken a glimpse of a scripture verse and expounding on it. Typically they can be read in like five to ten minutes. They'll have a little prayer. And we do these devotions to help us learn more about God. To help us see a scripture verse from someone else's point of view. Bible reading in and of itself. To take time to actually open this thing up during the week and not just on Sundays. And we don't even do that anymore because it's on the wall most of the time. But to just to sit with the Bible and actually to read. And it can be confusing, which is why sometimes devotions are helpful. Um, prayer. Beyond maybe meals or some of the formals. To, to actually just be in prayer, which is kind of this thoughtful presence with God. Just like, God, help me see what you see. Help me in this situation. Sometimes if we're a little bit on the unhealthier side, our prayers are always petitions. Right? We just we show up to God with a list of what we think he ought to be doing or we want him to do. And it's just like, all right, God, let me tell you how you ought to do your job. Uh, you need to heal this person. You should uh, make the affordable housing thing go. Yada, yada, yada. And, and we just kind of... And then that's it. Which is okay. 
that's probably a good starting point. Even think of kids as they grow, right? Mom, can I have this? Mom, like that. That's, that's, but eventually, even as Taylor's growing up, like we get to just sit and have conversations about things. She's like, what do you think about this? What does this mean, right? And, and that dialogue as we grow in our spiritual faith, hopefully prayer and this conversation with God shifts from just my list of things I need you to do, God, to, to actually being in conversation and being in relationship through prayer. Um, personal spiritual growth, I think, also involves um, embracing service opportunities because it's we can talk and learn about service, generosity, humility, but where we really grow is when we get put into an environment where we have to practice <laughs> grace, generosity, humility. All of a sudden, like, ah, oh, that's what you meant by that one verse. <laughs> Uh, and we get to learn more by doing. Uh, the way this growth process happens more in the faith community, right? Opportunities is uh, Sunday schools, Bible studies, book studies. Sometimes it does start like, I just show up to church, but all of a sudden, I need more than that, so I'm going to step into relationship with other people in the church. And whether that's around a coffee hour or three people getting together for tea once a week or once a month, but, but stepping into relationship beyond to actually have those conversations and grow and let those pieces go. There's church coursework studies. There's retreats like the Walk to Emmaus that um, Mike is always encouraging people to go on and, and different pieces. So there's things that the community offers that we can step into and really help to grow, right? So that maturity in a faith community is both a personal responsibility and communal engagement. And it helps us to grow. Uh, I still remember early on, uh, you know, back to my story, so I really, again, everything was fresh and new to me. And so I wanted to devour it. I mean, I started reading, I, I brought a notebook, I had like pages of notes for every sermon. I sat in the front row and I was just scribbling notes. Uh, there was a discipleship leadership thing that uh, our youth pastor offered. So I showed up to do that. It was less than, from when I accepted Christ, and finally, okay, this, I, God's real. I mean, less than a year is when I preached my first sermon. It was horrible. And you aren't going to believe this, but it was really short because I didn't actually know a whole lot. I was nervous, so I just had like, I think it was like five minutes, and I sat down and like, I don't know what we do for the rest of service. Uh, but, but diving into that, uh, because of what the community offered, it led to this ability to grow. And so the church offers all of these beautiful gifts. Uh, I think, too, one of the most powerful gifts that the church has, and, and this is underrated, and I will, I will argue anybody theologically on this, I think one of the biggest gifts the church has is the casserole. <laughs> if your neighbor is hurting, right, to show up and to say, hey, I, I can't fix all of that, but I want you to know that you matter. I want you to know that you're loved. Here's some food. A casserole can communicate more about the gospel than any sermon I can do, I think. Right? When we're hurting, what does it look like to actually have a community that you belong and then people actually show up? Now, one of the challenges in that, too, and this goes back to your personal spiritual growth, is if you're struggling, 
and then you're keeping it to yourself, and no one knows to bring you a casserole. And then we actually get bitter because nobody's coming to my house to help me and bring me casseroles. Now granted, I haven't told anyone. I haven't been authentic or vulnerable enough to share, like, hey, I'm struggling, I'm hurting. So if we don't know, we can't do anything. Um, and, and so we have to be able to grow up and actually like, hey guys, I can actually need, I could use some help. I'm hurting a little bit right now. And maybe it's not a casserole, right? If you're hurt your leg, someone shows up and mows your lawn for you. What, I mean, but that tangible act is just to say, I can't fix it all. But you matter, you're loved, you belong. Here's how we go. It's the gospel of love, penetrating. I mean, good food crosses culture, right? I don't need to, you to be a believer to eat my stew, right? We can, we can love people and, and yeah, good food crosses. All right, I'm going to get off food, but now I want to eat. Uh, so what does it look like uh, to value it? But also the challenge here is once we're in it for a while, um, Barna's study actually shows that, that it will lead, and we'll get into some of this more next week, but you're doing all this stuff. I'm showing up, I'm eating the casseroles, I'm doing that, but there's this part where you actually get a little discontent. Like, okay, we've been doing this for a while. Is this all there is? Where do we go from here? Where's, where's growth? Where's deeper relationships? Where does all of this take place? And his studies actually show it's somewhere between 9 to 15 years and I actually think that's long, based on my personal, but he did the whole study, right? 10,000 people. Between 9 to, to 15 years, people reach the spot of being discontent. Right? So you get in and everything's new. All of these Bible verses are new. I'm memorizing Bibles. I'm reading the Bible. I'm singing new songs. It's all new, and so I'm excited about it. But eventually it's not new anymore. Eventually it's the same old thing. And it, it doesn't meet our needs. It's not touching that newness button of excitement. And, and so the value of it, we, in our minds, we start to diminish. All of a sudden, we have other things we can do. Uh, and there's a huge percentage in this discontent piece. And we can think of family members we love, kids, neighbors, people that, that oh yeah, I don't see the value in it anymore. And I think we're actually in a stage, and this is kind of the challenge, where's the church going? We're in a spot where, I think, a global pandemic has led to this, where there is this increased curiosity about the divine. But we still, but, but, but where, where do we go? Do people go back to the church of their youth? Do they tie back in? And it, it, it's harder, but if we can be a spot, or recreate a safe environment for those who are curious about the divine, then I think the church can really be a ministry tool to help people, right? Again, a balm to heal the heart, which I think is, is my heart for church and communities of faith. Uh, all right, before joys and concerns, before this next song, actually, I want to hear your stories. You heard a bit of mine. When was a time that you feel the church really was there for you, was helpful, was beneficial, stepped into your space. I know I'm not the only one with good church stories, otherwise you'd all be gone. Well, you would have said mine, the castle. When it came out that my husband had cancer, 
the good pieces of the church has been for you. And then just begin writing them down. And one of the things that I have found that like often like, oh, I can do this in five minutes. But I miss things in five minutes. So the intentional, like, I'm going to just sit with it longer. Even if nothing's come to my mind, just sit with it, reflect. And let the Spirit kind of remind you and bring things in. And then to actually write it down, just as an encouragement for you. If you want to have coffee with me and share it later, I love doing that. But, but take that time and just a little bit of space. What value um, when did the church really be there? What are you grateful about the church for? And to reflect on those pieces.